you're not you when you're hungry. Snickers has done a masterful job, a creative job of using really funny people like Robin Williams to get you to buy a Snickers. To buy a Snickers in order to satisfy the hunger in you. Now, it's probably not hard for you to believe that I can testify. <laughs> there have been a few times in my life that a snicker seemed to do the job, right? But I want you today to use that imagery in order to know how that also applies spiritually to our lives. I, I want you to realize that the scripture teaches us the truth that as Jesus followers, we are filled with power. But today we're going to talk about what happens when you don't know that. When you don't know it and you feel an emptiness, when you feel a hungry, uh, you, you are not you when you're hungry. We find ourselves not acting the way we're supposed to. We find ourselves not accomplishing the things we're called to. We find ourselves not living the way we're meant to. You're not you when you're hungry. So welcome. I'm glad you're here. I want to send a, a shout out to the Adrian campus who now is starting to, to join us by video. Um, I also want to send a shout out to our online community. Last week was fun for me because of the Labor Day weekend. There were people that I got to meet last week. Because of Labor Day, they, were, they worked Labor Day, were off on Sunday, and actually got to come to church. And they are people who every week tune in online with us because they have to work. And last week, I actually got to meet you. And that was just the coolest thing. So we just, we welcome everybody here. To, here's what we're starting today. It is a brand new series. This is week one of what we're going to call more. More. Now, I happen to think that that graphic is really cool. Whether you do or not, I, I just, I like that. I, I think that's really cool. And, and I want you to notice that in the middle of this graphic of more, the O, it's like a power button, right? So here's what I want us to start to process that we're going to look at for several weeks. God, the Bible tells us, is able to do immeasurably more. Everybody say more. God is able to do immeasurably more, get this, than all we ask or imagine. Now, we kind of think that's a big statement because we think we're pretty bad in terms of what we can think about, what we can imagine, what we can dream up, what we can ask for. But what the Bible says is that God can do immeasurably more than all we can ask or, or even imagine. But then it says this. That is according to his power. His power that is at work within us. That is what we're going to learn together. In order to understand that, we're going to have to work our way through this letter. 
It's a letter that we find in our Bible that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in a place called Ephesus. So the letter is called Ephesians, right? And if you were with us for our study of 1 Timothy, I'm sure you will remember, because you remember all this stuff, Ephesus was the church that Timothy pastored. So today, we're going to jump right in. Chapter 1, verse 17 is where I want you to begin to see what God's got for us today. Here's what he says. I keep asking. Now, that's Paul. Paul's writing this letter. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may, check this out, know him better. Right? This is Paul praying because he's asking God. He's saying, God, I I want you to give them wisdom. I want you to help these, these folks to be able to see how you see things. God, when you reveal who you are, when you reveal how you operate, God, I want you to help them to understand that. But what is the end goal? God, give them wisdom, give them understanding, but why? So that they may know you better. Let's keep going. Verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. That's a beautiful way to say kind of what he just said. But he's saying, I want the light to be turned on. In, I want you to be able to see this. I want the eyes of your heart to be enlightened in order that you may, here we go again, No, same word. Let me just read it and then we'll go back. Know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. He says, I I want you to know. I want you to know Jesus. This is a kind of knowing that not even Satan has. That's the way I would describe it to you. In one sense, Satan knows these facts. He knows the things that Paul lists here that that we're going to walk through this morning. But what Paul is praying for here is a sense for us to know in a conscious experience kind of way. Right? This is how I would describe it to you. This word know is like the difference between knowing that this is a Snickers because the label is on the package versus knowing this is a Snickers because you take a big old bite of chocolatey, gooey, good stuff and go, that's what it tastes like. That makes sense? You know it's a Snickers because it has a label on it, or you know it's a Snickers because you taste it. And I'm telling you that not even our greatest enemy has tasted the wonder of of this knowledge that Paul is praying for us. He's praying that you will know with a conscious experience that you will taste what he's talking about. Well, what does he want us to know? Well, there's three things he mentions there. 
The first one is he says, I'm praying that your, your heart will be enlightened, that you will know, check it out, the hope to which he has called you. The hope to which he's called you. I don't think I have to convince anybody in this room how important hope is. When people lose hope, people stop living. When people lose hope, people stop living. But what we often misunderstand when it comes to the Bible, and when the Bible uses this word hope, it's different than how we tend to use the word hope. We will use the word hope in the sense of, I hope we win the game, right? You look good in your red today. You do. You look good in your red today. Do we hope we win today? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. We hope we win today. I hoped my team would win last night. Just an example. I hoped that my Tigers would walk into Texas, a, a, a ninth-ranked team in the nation. I hoped. I hoped that a quarterback would throw for 470 yards and 17 touchdowns. I hoped. I, I hoped that our defense would just stop them one more time. But I didn't know because I've watched them before. I've never cheered for my team when they had an offense before. I, I didn't know. But when the Bible uses the word hope, it is a different meaning, it is a different understanding. When the Bible speaks of hope, it is more than wishing, it is a certainty. When the Bible speaks of hope, it is a, sh a surety. When the Bible speaks of things like our blessed hope, you know what that is? It is the return of Jesus. This is not just something we wish for. When it says we hope, it means we know. This is like an anchor, an anchor in the future that affects my today. I have heard it said, hope is an anchor set in a future that helps you endure the storms of today. That's good. Hope is an anchor set in the future that enables you to endure the storms of today. Paul says, I want you to know, I want you to taste, I want you to consciously experience this hope that you have. Then he continues. I also hope that, I also want you to know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Now, that's kind of an interesting string of words. We really got to pay attention. Well, what is he saying here? The riches of his glorious inheritance. Who is his? That's God. So God's inheritance, and who is his inheritance in, in this case? I, I, I'm convinced what he's saying here is he's talking about his people. God is talking about his family. He's talking about his kids. In other words, I, I think what Paul is praying here is that we would grasp, we would taste, we would know the fullest reality that God thinks of us as his inheritance. And I'm saying, I think some people here, I think some people who are listening in, you struggle to believe that God would see you that way. Why? 
Well, it's because some of you grew up with parents or some of you grew up with some influential people around you who communicated to you in some way that you would never measure up. And since that time, you have, you have struggled to move through life thinking things like, I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not pretty enough, I don't measure up, nobody wants me. And what happens is you end up settling for less than your value because you're giving in to what someone else thinks of you or maybe what you've begun to think of you. There's an interesting little story called The Perks of Being a Wallflower. It's written by a guy named Stephen Chbosky. And in that story, the main character, Charlie, asks his English teacher a question. Why do good people date bad people? Now, that's phrased in a way that, come on, most of us have wondered that at some point or another, right? It's like, how did she end up with him? Right? That's how we always want to. How did that sweet girl end up with that? And I'm not going to teach you any new words today. I'm just, you know, you know the words that go there. How did she end up with him? And there's a profound answer that the English teacher gives. This is the reply it's because we accept the love we think we deserve. We tend to accept the love only that we think we deserve. That's why Paul is praying that God would open our eyes to see what he, God, thinks of us, his inheritance, his glorious inheritance, the God who created the universe with a word, the God who holds, right, the, the seas in the palm of his hands. And he's saying, you... I see you as my glorious inheritance. This is how I think of you. If you don't know your worth in the eyes of God, you will settle for less than the things of God. And you'll end up compromising here and there until you find yourself stuck in some consequences that you wish you weren't in. You, you won't rise up when you are called on, but later you will wake up mourning the death of a life that goes unlived as others far less than helpful step in to fill that void. You got to know the hope to which you have been called. And you got to know the value that God sees when he sees you. There's one more. And it's really what most of the text is about. He says, I also want you to know his incomparably great power for us who believe. I want you to know the hope. I want you to know how you're loved. And I want you to know this power. Now, please understand the difference in what Paul's saying here. He is not praying in this instance that we get this calling or that we become heirs, or that we get the power. That's not what he's praying here. 
What he's saying here is you have this calling of hope. He's saying you are heirs who are, who are cherished as God's inheritance. He's saying you have this power. You just don't know it. You're acting like you're empty. You don't know what you have, and I'm praying that you can know it. I'm praying that you will taste this. We need, we need to make sure that in this whole series on more, this is not a call for you to get more Jesus. That is not good theology when we read the Bible. I want to make it really clear that when you, in your brokenness, call out to Jesus in faith, by grace, he meets you where you are in your brokenness. And because of what he has done for you on that cross and in a resurrection that results, he comes to you, listen, all of him. You don't get a little bit of Jesus, and then as you work through this process, you earn more and more and more. No, when Jesus comes to you, you get all of him. This is, this is not about earning, getting, deserving more of Jesus. But what Paul's praying is, I want you to know who this Jesus is, because he is more. I want you to know him. So Paul says, I, I, you, you got to get this power. You got to see this power. You got you to know this power. And then he's going to give us really some qualities of what this power looks like. Say, so what, what does he mean by this power? Well. Here we go, into verse 19. Look at what he says. The power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. What kind of power are we talking about here? He says, I'm talking about power that raises. Power that raises the dead to life. Every once in a while, we sing a song around here. Uh, the, the lyrics of, of that song go something like, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave. The same power that commands the dead to wake. Do you know what the next line is? Lives in us lives in us. Well, why do we sing that song? Because that's actually what Scripture teaches us. That's why. It is this, this amazing promise that I, I think Paul's praying for us here because he tends to know, I'm not really sure this has sunk in with you yet. I, I'm not sure that it really sinks in that the power that rose Jesus from the dead is the power that, that now indwells you. I think we tend to hear this kind of phrase and we go, okay, I, I read that and I wish that were true. I wish that were true. But, but the reality is when I, when I look at my life and maybe I think about some of those things that I, I, I wish I didn't do and I don't seem to be able to stop that or I, those things that I wish I could do and I haven't yet started that, when I think about the experience in my life, maybe that power doesn't feel real to you. An interesting 
thing happened the other day. It was uh, my granddaughter's second birthday. She's a big two. So we had a big party. And a part of my task was to make sure that drinks were cold, all right? So ice chests, you know, all, all the good stuff from Sprite to, to Pepsi to, to Fanta to you name it. That's my job, all right? I open up one of those 12 packs, and one of the 12 packs was Coke Zero. And when I, when I picked it up, I, I noticed a little difference. I mean, I thought I did, at least. And as I began to take some of those cans out to put in the ice, I suddenly realized there is not a drop in this can. Not a drop. Now, I have searched, I have looked, it's like, where's the pinhole? You know what I'm saying? Where is the pinhole uh, that this would leak out somewhere along the way, but the box wasn't wet? There was no stain on the box? I cannot find a pinhole anywhere in the can? I don't know why it's not in there. The point is, it's empty. Can we just, can we just drop it at that, all right? Because some of you are going to spend the next 10 minutes trying to figure out why the can's empty. That's always the struggle with illustrations, all right? The, the point is, it looks like it's supposed to be what? Full, but it's actually empty, all right? That's the point. It was pretty weird when I found it. I expect, though, that this would represent, I think, how a lot of people who want to call themselves Jesus followers might feel. It's like being a Jesus follower means that I am filled with the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. But if you were really honest, like really honest, you would just say, that just sounds idealistic to me. That sounds like maybe even religious hype to me. It sounds vague. It, it sounds theoretical. And you, you hear a talk like today and almost walk away thinking, that's good fiction. That's good fiction because I feel empty. And please hear me when I say, I don't blame you for feeling that way. In fact, I would, I would admit that, that there have been some times that I would go, you know what? Yeah, feel that way. Feel that way. Here's the good news. What's Paul praying? He's praying that God would open our eyes, that God would, would turn that light on in our heart that we might know. That we might know what's really there in terms of who Jesus is when we meet him, what that, what that means in feeling for our life. So, so until that feeling catches up with the truth of who you are, just for fun, let me throw out a couple of questions. Can you identify one area of your life? Maybe it's connected to your family. Uh, maybe it's something in your neighborhood that you have observed. But some area of brokenness. And what would it look like for that to be restored?
just maybe if I were going to put it in more personal terms just to you, what's one area in your life that you would tend to declare, this is dead or it is dying and I am in need of a resurrection? Because once you come to see who Jesus really is, once you come to see who you really are in him, do, do you understand the difference that this makes in your life? I mean, let's say that you're dealing with sickness. You're dealing with sickness. Let's say you're, you're going through some sort of struggle. You're, you're maybe going through some sort of loss. What, what difference does it make? Well, the point is there are times that that, that power, that, that power that raises Jesus from the dead, there are moments that that power gets manifested right now. Right now, that maybe there is a sickness and you see him do something that's so amazing, so spectacular, what, what he does to, to move that brokenness to whole. Or maybe that's going to manifest in the age to come. It, it may not be that that happens in this life. It, it may mean that you see his great power to mean even when I take my last breath in this life, I get to go be with him forever. No more sickness, no more pain, com completely at peace, joy with him. Isn't it funny that we always see that as the backup option? Isn't it funny that we almost see that as the lesser of power? Seriously? That we would see an eternity like that as lesser power than if he were to always do it in an instant. I'm saying whether he does it now or whether he does it then, this power of Christ, this resurrecting power that's available to you in him, that he is able to work in your life today, it changes how you face those things. How about, just to get real practical, let's say it's a couple that you know who is struggling in their marriage, okay? The tendency for most people, unfortunately, I think even Jesus following people, is to stay away from that. You see somebody struggling in a relationship, the, the, the tendency is to stay away from it, except for talking about it, right? Right? Except, for, except for talking about it. We'll talk about it some, and, and then uh, sometimes it, it'll, it'll be this, this uh, holy-sounding, that's just none of my business. I, I want you to see the difference that it will make in your life if you truly know what this resurrection power tastes like it will not lead you to run from those kind of broken situations. It will actually lead you to step forward with gentleness, with respect, and with love. And it will lead you to actually have a conversation with them. It will lead you to actually be willing to put arms around them. It will lead you to actually be willing to fight for them and to pray for them because you believe there is a resurrection power that brings dead things back to life. Now, whether they choose to cooperate with that, that's not on you, right? Whether they choose to lean into him or not, that's not on you. I'm just saying for you, it's going to change how you live life. It's going to change how you love people. It's going to change how you reach because you believe 
in a power that is real. I heard this this week. Um, Ralph Waldo Emerson has this quote. He says, God will not have his work made manifest through cowards. When I first heard that, it kind of made me back up. I was is that right? God will not have his work made manifest through cowards. Because my first response is, though, wait a minute. Doesn't God use weakness? Yes. But what Scripture teaches us is he gives strength into weakness that enables us to step forward for, with courage even when we feel weak, even when we perceive to be weak. His power changes everything. That's good stuff. God, help us see. That's life-changing stuff. And Paul's saying, I, I want you to see. He, he, and it's not just that he raises dead things to life, but he raises them up to the highest of heights. It, it says here, not only did Christ rise from the dead, but he raised them up to the Father's right hand. Check out where Paul goes next, verse 21 and 22. Far above. <laughs> he is far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church. Not only is this power in you a power that raises dead things to life, but Paul says, I want you to see, I want you to taste, I want you to know this is a power that reigns over everything. Everything. There is not a thing on the earth, under the earth, over anywhere that has not been placed under the feet of Jesus. And we go, yeah, no, I've heard that. I know, but have you tasted it? I know many of you have heard it, but have you tasted it? Because if you've really tasted it, wouldn't there be a difference in our boldness? Wouldn't there be a difference in our courage? Wouldn't there be a difference in our tenacity? Wouldn't there be a difference in our perseverance? Let, let me get practical with this. You know how we all tend to overthink stuff? You know how we all tend to overthink far beyond what we can actually control in the moment? You know how we all tend to observe a situation and the next thing you know, the stresses that are wearing on us, the responsibilities that we're allowing to weigh us down. Think about the fears and the worries and the disappointments. Somehow in that imagery, we have lost sight of who reigns over all. In Colossians chapter 2, we, we are told that at the cross, God triumphed over all of our enemy. Not only Satan himself, but all those powers with him. That when Jesus rose from the dead, he, he, he is exalted over all the host of hell. They are actually a defeated foe. He is above all. Now, they are not yet out of this world. The, all the battles have not been fought. But the power from God for us now in these battles is a resurrecting, reigning power that the one we trust and the one who is in us 
all things are under his feet. That's what it says. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not declare, that's mine. So, all those areas in my life of fear and worry and shame and dread are really just the evidence that although God may have placed everything under Jesus' feet, I am not buying it. Because I'm fearful, and I'm worried, and I'm stressed. I kind of have to almost view it for myself like it's a little bit funny to keep me from weeping over the reality of this. I mean, the picture of God who sets everything under the feet of Jesus. Like, here you go, Jesus, this big old spinning globe and everything that goes with it under his feet. From wars to race relations under his feet. From politics to disease under his feet. For security, checking accounts, you name it, under his feet. And then it's as though I walk over and start to pick up the things that I choose to pick up because, Jesus, I'm just not sure you have a handle on this. So why do we worry and why do we freak out? Why do we think we have to make sense of everything as though some explanation will give our minds peace? It's because we truly have not tasted the truth that all things are under his feet. And Paul's like, I want you to know this. From sports to space, from health care to hurricanes, from disease to death, and everything in between. He reigns over all history, all human beings, all demonic powers, all nature, all business, all governments, all religion, all galaxies, and 10,000 things that we haven't even discovered yet. All under his feet. He is the head over them all. And he is the conscious, active, authoritative ruler. And Paul says, I pray that you can see it. This power that raises dead to life. This power that reigns over everything. And then there's one more piece that sets us up for the rest of what we're going to learn in Galatians. Verse 23 continues. The church, he's the head of the church, but get, get this next line. Which is his body, we've heard that in other places before, but, but not this. The fullness of him. Now, who's him? Yeah, this, this, is, this is Jesus. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. He's saying, you understand this, this power that is at work in you. It, it is the, the fullness, all of who he is. The fullness of him who fills everything in in every way. God has designed it so that when his church operates, knowing, tasting this power that is real in you, it is meant to reveal 
This is the fullness of who God is. When I read that, it brings to mind all those statements that we read from Jesus in the Gospels, like like when he says, greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world, right? Statements like Jesus saying, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Statements that Jesus says, like, like, whoever believes in me will do the works I am doing and even greater things than these. Statements that Jesus makes about how not even the gates of hell will be able to hold back his church. But I want you to think about what this looks like. when a community begins to observe. Maybe it's when it's your family who's close enough to know you. A friendship close enough to really know you. Neighbors close enough to really know you. And they know you well enough to know you wear a label. Jesus follower. And honestly, as long as they look at you from here, this all looks right. I mean, you really couldn't ask for more of an illustration for me. A Snicker bar and a Coke, that, that's, that's like about as pure as it gets. Is it, is it not? That's just beautiful. When, when they look at you from a distance and they see that can, it looks normal. When is it that I know this is not normal? When I get close enough that I, I, I touch it, I, I, can, I can feel this, and then I realize there is no weight to this. It was interesting to me in that 12-pack that I opened, there were actually three cans that way. There were three cans that every single one of them, I, I looked for the pinholes, I looked for the whole deal. There's not a, like, there's, no, there's nothing, it's empty. And it just made me think about what, what happens when a community, your family, your neighbors, your coworkers, your teammates, they hear and they read the label on the outside. There is no hope that flows from your life. They don't see it. There is no sense of value of knowing how loved you are as the inheritance of God. And there is no power because it seems like as soon as you face struggles like they face struggles, you. They don't hear from you a faith that hopes an anchor in the future that affects today. I think this is what Paul's saying 
man, this is, this is not who you are. <laughs> this is not who you are. You're, you're acting like it because you, you don't know. You don't know who you, who you really are in Jesus, this hope, this love, this power. And God wants to do more through us than we ever thought possible. As we walk through Ephesians in each chapter, each, each week we're going to take a different chapter and we're just going to pull out um, from each chapter a mind shift that needs to take place in order for us, the church, to really begin to walk this out in a way that reveals the death-defying, hell-defeating power that is real in who Jesus is. Now, I think it's really important for us to do, do this before, before we wrap this up today, because when I, when, I, when I hear more, right, when I hear more, everything else in my life that's about more sends me to respond in this way, well, I guess then I should probably work harder. <laughs> that's what I should do. If this is, if this is the issue, then I, I need to work harder. I should do more. I should just, just bear down, right? Just time to grit your teeth and bear it. I, I should. Because if God wants to do more through me, I should be doing more for him. That's the temptation to go there first. And I want you to please make sure that you are understanding the context of what we are reading in the book of Ephesians. Because what we're getting here is this, this long prayer that Paul is praying. And how does he start it? And it's going to be how he finishes it, and it's going to be what he talks about in the middle. He prays first that our eyes, the eyes of our heart would be enlightened. In other words, if God doesn't do this for you to see it, if God doesn't help you see this, you ain't going to see it. Not, not only are you not going to do it, this is, this is just totally dependent on God. This is not about you getting stuff together and being more. This is about the fact that he is more. Only Jesus can raise the dead. Only Jesus, through his willingness to die for us, could reveal how valuable we are to him. Only Jesus can fulfill everything in every way. As the church, we are called out and we are called up to a purpose of continually illuminating this mystery, Jesus is more. And the way that gets lived out in clarity is not me simply deciding I'm going to do more. It is me saying, Jesus, I want to know who you are because you are more and when you know him better Paul says as you know him better the power button he presses and suddenly the fullness of who he is gets lived out and loved out all around you the church has been chosen by Jesus to reveal the immeasurable fullness of all that he is into every corner of culture, into every sphere of society. The church is made for more. 
but you're not you when you're hungry. You're you when your hunger is met in Jesus. And all the more that Jesus wants to do in and through us will begin to take place when we find him to be more. Next week, we'll pick it up right here. I'm going to pray for us here in just a second. I'm just going to give us a chance to process a little bit of what God's spoken to us today. For some of you, it's about a hope that maybe you would even today say, honestly, it's been a long time since I've even seen any hope. And maybe today, as God has spoken, you need to listen. Just lean into him. The truth of how he's speaking over you today. For some of you, you truly have fought your entire life to believe that you are loved. And a God today who is declaring this is how I love you, my inheritance. And then some of you, it's like you've known for a long time this stuff about power, but the truth of the matter is the way you have walked it out, it, it is at times you have run from things that this power ought to be sending you into. So I'm, I'm gonna pray, then we're gonna sing a song. Um, it's just gonna give us a time to process who who this is, who this Jesus is, a chance to praise him, a chance to ask from him, a chance to depend on him. Um, Here in in this room, there will be some folks who are over here on the side toward the back. If you need prayer while all that's going on, we'd be honored to do so. Um, In Adrian, there will be some folks in the back. You can just simply step to the back of that room and there will be some folks there to pray for you. We want to actually not just hear some words with these ears today. We want what Paul prayed to be true, that we heard it and we saw it here. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that today you you speak some truth into our lives that I, I would imagine almost every one of us who would be hearing this would struggle someplace. God, either a matter of hope where we feel like we've lost it a matter of love where we feel like we're always trying to earn it or a matter of power where it just doesn't seem to be what we are experiencing at this moment. God, we struggle. My prayer today, God, is that we would trust you, you help us see, you help us believe. You help us understand what is true, what is real, and you enable us to begin to embrace that until how we feel catches up with that. 
So God, today there's some of us that need to repent of some things maybe that um, God, we haven't been walking this out in a way that honors you. We want it to be different. But God, we also don't want to do this thinking that, okay, this is on us. It's all, it's all about us working harder. It's all about us doing more. God, we want to start where you tell us to start so that we can finish where you tell us to finish. This is about knowing you. This, this is not about a power that we figure out how to manufacture. This is about you, the power who lives within us. God, I'm asking you to help us to see today in order that we might believe today. I pray for healing here. God, help us to run to you. Help us to trust you. God, I pray for, I pray for things today that maybe up until this moment we have just thought is dead. But that today you would give us sight that you raise those things to life. Help us to trust. Help us to believe. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. Amen.